say another good day to be here as we worship the God of heaven. Another beautiful day as we've blessed with some, I guess, a wonderful sunshine this summer for sure. And we're all, we'll take it along with the rain and everything else that God gives us. One of the things that we will notice as we read through Paul's epistles as well as his life in the book of Acts is the fact of the frequency of the tears that Paul shed as a gospel preacher and apostle of Jesus Christ. With possibly the exception of Jeremiah, who we always has been known as the weeping prophet, Paul probably shed more tears than any other biblical character that we read about. In the 20th chapter of Acts, in verse 31, by his own admission, it says he cried or had tears night and day. And again, in Romans 9, in verse 2, he talked about the continuing sorrow that he had in his heart for his brethren. When we look at Paul, he had been in a numerous Roman prisons. We read not only what happened to him and the different times in the book of Acts, but we're also reminded of the things which he wrote to us, Second Corinthians 11. In verse 23 through 28, he lists a lot of things that happened to him that we, have, we would have never known if Paul had never mentioned them. He daily bore what we would call the physical scars of being beaten and cast into prison, and even at, as we know the time being stoned nearly to death. He bore those marks day by day as living example of the fact of him being persecuted for the cause of Christ. But that's not what made Paul cry. It wasn't those things. He bore them daily as a self-reminder of being an apostle of Jesus Christ. His tears were shed for the love and the concern that he had for the congregations that he throughout that then known world had helped establish as well of all the Christians that he had known and met through the years, and having to help them with different problems and situations of life, he cried for each, every one of them. So here is a man who was strong. Here is a man who was not afraid to stand up and face confrontation right on, not even, as he would say, not even given an hour worth of time. He would find it. But he, at the same time, here is a man who was willing to cry and let it be known that he did. And when you think about it for a moment, we can look at some things he cried about that worried him, that upset him, as we would say. And one of the things we can begin with was his thought of the spiritual condition of his own nation, of Israel. Here is a young man, at the time that we begin to read about him, that grew up, we would say, as a very patriotic Jew, even though he lived in the city of Tarsus, we could say that his family was as orthodox as any Jewish family on the face of the earth. They thought enough of his son and wanted him to have, we would, as we all hear parents even today say, have the best education possible, sacrifice to send him to sit at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of that day and time in Israel, to learn about God. And we, we learn from that as he talks about his life in the, in the book of Acts, especially in chapter 22, and rehearses what happened. He said, I was educated according to the strict matter of the law. 
and a moment of bragging for himself compared to others. In the Philippian letter, he reminds us in chapter 3 and verse 5, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he said, concerning the law of Pharisee. In other words, he's simply saying, you want to compare what you have, this is what I am at one time. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was zealous for the law, and of that concerning, I was a Pharisee. But yet here's a man years later once had been converted to the cause of Christ, not only as a, to be an, as a Christian but as an apostle, spent the rest of the days of his life crying over the fact that his nation that he grew up as a part of would not accept the fact that Jesus Christ that came to this earth and lived the sea of Nazareth and taught throughout Palestine was and is the Son of God. It hurt him. It hurt him because he said in Romans 9 and verse 2, he said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He was telling these people that his grief was great. The word sorrow there is a word that represents pain. It was a consuming sorrow, a consuming pain that he carried with him every day of his life. Not only was it great, but he says it was continued. It didn't mean he was crying 24-7. It meant every time or any time that the thought of the nation of Israel crossed his mind and the fact of the refusal to accept the Son of God, it brought tears to his eyes. Because he was sad the fact they would not accept who Jesus Christ was. But only that, but he tells us his grief was personal. It was deep-seated in his heart. It wasn't just a surface thing. Just crying because, oh, Israel, what? No, it was here. It dwelled on his mind. He thought about it. And he simply tells, not only to all that would listen, I cry for the nation of Israel. I cry for it. It bothers me, it pains me that these people who had the blessed privilege of being a promise of God's promise to Abraham, and through him would come this Messiah, they would not accept him. What about us? What about us? We're living in a time which we have to admit seems to be some of the worst times in this country. We're seeing things being accepted that years ago we all know We've lived long enough to sit. We would, they, the word never would have crossed their lips, much less thought about it. Now it's as common as anything and we're supposed to accept it. We're supposed to accept it. We're supposed to simply say, oh, this is part of life, just get with it. But we must ask ourselves, do we have the kind of patriotism that goes beyond waving a flag for the team at the Olympics and more than just worrying about our soldiers being overseas. In other words, we must ask ourselves, do we sincerely love the people of this nation enough to want to let them know about the Word of God? And in this day and time, we have the means. We have the means. Whether it's from our own lips to someone else, whether it's through our own website and the, and the way the internet works, we can find the, all the good things about the cause of Christ there. We got GBN broadcasting throughout the world. 
Yet it, it pains us to realize, in despite of all this, we're like Paul. We love the nation. We love our country. But, uh, you know, we want him to get him to hear it, to understand this is the gospel. Don't walk away from God. Remind him our country was founded on those principles. Do we shed the tears? We need to take, I guess we need, we'd say we need to take God's attitude as Peter wrote about Second Peter 3 and 9. Not wishing any should perish, but all should, should come to repentance. We know there's power in what we might call national repentance. Just ask Jonah what happened in Nineveh. When he preached the message of God to them, they changed their mind readily from the king down. It's a time which we may need to heed more than any other time. The words of Second Chronicles 7 and 14, which says, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Maybe we need to be like Paul. We need to shed tears for this country and the way it's going nowadays. Yes, Paul cried for the nation of Israel. But he also cried when he wrote letters. And what comes to mind is all, and when you say this is that he cried during letters, would have to be the letter he wrote to his brethren at Corinth, that first epistle. Paul had to be harsh. Paul had to be, like James was, he had to be blunt. At times, because that congregation had a lot of things that was wrong. They were being taught wrong. They were doing things wrong. And Paul says, wait a minute, brethren, stop. We need to stop this now. Here's what's wrong, and here's what you need to do. He wrote the letter he sent it. And you know in the back of his mind, he was worried, was sick, and tears wondering if they would even accept it. Or would have thought in the trash and said, he's just talking, we do what we want to do. when he writes the second one to them, after they have written the first one, and when he hears of joy in his heart, knowing that a lot of the things that he had to write about, a lot of the problems they, had, they were facing and doing, they were working on getting them straightened out, and a lot of them they'd already taken care of, and others they were still working on. In the second chapter, verse 4, he says, I wrote to you, he says, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears. Now what is Paul saying? It hurt me to write these things to you. It hurt me deeply that I had to be so harsh with you. It hurt me I had to write these things and administer the discipline to make you get back to the right way of following God. As we might say it this way, is it hurt him more to write it than they did to read it. And the word anguish there that is used, that, that word anguish of heart is talking about the, from the Latin word which means choke. This is how hard it was for Paul to write that he said, I choked. It was hard for me. He said to write these things. It hurt me deeply. I choking on the fact of what I had to say. It hurt me. But he said, and he under, hoped they understood the admonition 
was hard to ignore because of the tear stains on that letter. The tear stains that were on the letter. What about ourselves? We might begin by simply saying this comes at a time when we need to remind ourselves of James 3 when we begin this part. What about ourselves? Are the rebukes that we have to administer, are they filled with our tears? When we have to censor someone, is it filled with tears? Is it, it should be, should that rebuke be a, a fruit of love? It ought to be seasoned that way and let it be known, I love you, but I still have to talk to you about this. Or is the censure ungodly, full of jealousy, envy, and hate? God rebukes us. And He knows when He does so. He knows the words will hurt. He knows the words will bring anguish. But God understands and wants us to understand when we have to do it. That we're doing it out of love and it needs to be the keynote, the foundation of what's being said. It's done out of love, done with tears because we're trying to make that person better. We want to improve their lives and we'll make sure they're walking that way of pleasing unto God. There are times we have to be like the surgeon. And you all know this. The surgeon has to hurt you, doesn't he? To heal you. He has to hurt you to heal you. No one has ever come out of a surgery yet and says, you know, that surgery didn't hurt a bit. No, it does. It all hurts. The pain, the, the... Why? It hurts because from the result of that hurt, in the long term, what is it? The benefits of what He did to make us better. We can put up with the hurt to have the relief that we all desire. We need to let others... See that no, that no Christian, when the has to rebuke another, gets no joy out of it. It's not one of those. See, I told you so. I got him told off. No, that's not what God's talking about. None whatsoever. It needs to be set across with the fact it is love that prompts it, and the tears ought to be the guiding understanding that it is done out of love. In other words, don't count the number of words that are being said and trying to help someone count the tears that fall as a result of trying to help. Trying to help. This next one, I understand more than anybody else, I guess. <laughs> I can get it out. Paul cried when he preached. That's me. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. Why? We're talking about the love of God. Can't deny it. How could anyone get up and preach and when you look at the talk about the crucifixion of Christ that time and not tear up? I don't see how anybody can. It's hard for me as well. But Paul says and tells us that he seemed to do it all the time. 
that it was just as much a part of his preaching as anything else. Because notice what he says to his brethren at Ephesus. He had spent three years with that congregation. In Acts when he says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now what would cause him to have said that back up to verse 30? When he reminded them, From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. What was Paul saying? I cried a lot when I preached you because I'm trying to warn you, brethren. I do not want you to go back into the world. I don't want you to be like the really. I want you to stay pure to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not afraid to shout them. I'm not afraid to let you know what's going on around us. Paul was talking to his brethren, his elders, friends at Ephesus when he met with him on the coast of town of Miletus. And he said that when he said in verse 30 about men rising among them, he was speaking a truth. <laughs> as we all well know, as we know what happened as time passes. But he warned them of it. And notice in that acclamation, he reminds them that he was faithful in his warning to them, trying to keep them walking straight and narrow as he cried their heart out to them was, I did not cease. He was faithful in his warnings. He never let up on them. They may have got tired of listening to him and think, well, that'll never happen to us. But Paul says, I did not cease to constantly warn you what was about to happen. If the gospel of Christ veers from the truth and goes into everything else. He was the faithful watchman. He was the one on the wall. He was the one that saw the danger on the horizon. And he wanted his brethren to know, here's what's coming. I'm warning you that it will come. But I'm warning you, don't let it happen to you. I'm crying to you to keep the church straight and pure. Not only that, but he tells us that he was impartial. He says he warned everyone. He said he warned everyone. It makes no difference if he's old or young. It makes no difference if there's a new convert or been to church for a long number of time. If it was elders or deacons, or just a congregation, whether it was public or private, whether they accepted Him or doubted Him. It didn't make any difference. He continued to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, and He continued to warn His brethren what was coming. What was coming? We're living in a time that's just as bad as it was then. If you don't think Roman Empire was corrupt and sinful and everything we see today going on then, just read their history. It will boggle your mind. It's still going on. Paul warned his brethren then in the midst of that corrupt nation, stay pure to God. Don't let those forces infiltrate the cause of Christ. We're warning ourselves today Paul was talking about the coming, what would come out of the eldership as the time passed. We can look around us today and realize in our world today which we live in, a lot of the churches of Christ have gone from the truth of God. They ceased warning each other. They ceased preaching the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul cried then, may we need to today to get across the message, the fact of what is going on around us. One of the last 
admonitions that Paul gave to his young friend Timothy still rings true today. In the first epistle he wrote to him in chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice and do nothing from partiality. That's still true today. The admonition is still true. That that ought to be the charge of every child of God. To keep the promises of God. Keep those commandments without prejudice. And to do nothing from partiality. We already saw that earlier this morning in James 2. When we looked at it during class. Paul reminded us and warning us as well to be constant in our warnings whether we speak to individuals or whether we write to them. We need to be day and night concerned that we keep the church that Jesus bled for and shed His blood on Calvary for to keep it pure and holy as it is found within the contents of the New Testament of Jesus Christ. That's our duty. It is our responsibility. And we need to be, as Paul was saying, I'm untiring in my warnings. I did not cease to warn you day and night. You see, he did what we need to do. He put himself in their place. He sat where they sat. He saw the world through their eyes. And then when he warned them, he knew he was warning them of things that they needed to keep themselves walking as they should and keeping the church where they attended pure and holy as it needed to be. Yeah, Paul cried and thought nothing of it. Matter of fact, let his brother know that when he did so, it was with anguish, with pain, that it choked him to be able to do that because he proclaiming and he writes to them about the gospel and the purity of Jesus Christ. It hurt him but he willingly do so because he wanted to. He loved his Lord that much. This morning, the warning is still out. The warning is still being broadcast, if it were. We can truly say, as we look at our lives today, that we're one day closer to death than we, are to, than we have, ever have been in our lives. The warning is, this morning, if you're not a child of God, this is the day. This is the hour. All things are simply ready, as that old hymn would tell us. The day is a day for you to come and become one of God's precious children. Have your sins washed away by that precious blood of Jesus Christ when you come repenting that way you've been living, confessing the fact that He is the Christ, and submit yourself to be buried in baptism to raised to walk that new life. That is the morning. Do it before it's eternally too late. And to a child of God who strayed from that truth, you know the tears are still being shed for you to come home. You've strayed from God's truth. You're not living as you should. You know it. And you know what God knows it. And while you have the time and opportunity, here's your chance to redeem and, re -bring and renew your soul and ask God's forgiveness. And that same blood will wipe it clean from the book of life when you come repenting of the way you've been living and asking God's forgiveness and help. Think of this as while well, together we stand and while we sing.